Welcome to the Vinyl Draft Podcast. My name's Andrew Popel. Today on the show, I am joined by Michael Thompson. Now, the Final Draft Podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. If it's the first time you're joining us, welcome. Every week, we broadcast a show. It's called Final Draft out of the studios of 2SER here in Sydney. And at Final Draft, we are dedicated to exploring Australian writing, whether it be debut authors or the established authors, the classics that you know and love. These conversations are all about looking into the issues that drive the author's storytelling as a way to help you discover more from the books that you love, because we believe that these are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people. And I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. And I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that it is unceded land, that a treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. As I said today on the show, I am joined by Michael Thompson. I have got Michael. He's joining us with his debut novel. It is called How to Be Remembered. And it is an extraordinary novel about what matters in the world with Tommy Llewellyn a protagonist like no other. I don't know what else to say other than um, I hope you'll take take this journey with Michael and I uh, because it is, it's, it's fabulous. It is heartwarming. It is gripping. I loved it. So join me as we discover Michael Thompson's How to Be Remembered. Hello. Can you hear me there? Yeah, I can hear, I can hear you. You got me, Michael? Yep, loud and clear. Fantastic. I'm going to begin by complimenting your rig. I know you're a podcaster. You 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 were always going to turn up with a very impressive rig. Uh, that is that is very good to hear. And I just, it's always good when you talk to other podcasters because I appreciate kind of the value of, of a good microphone and kind of having some soft material kind of around you. So it um, makes a difference, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And look, let's not Let's not underscore the fact that I'm extremely jealous. I'm just smiling. Um, <laughs> but All right, shall we? Yep, let's jump in. All right. Michael's a journalist, producer, media, execu- media executive, and co-founder of the podcast production company Fear and Greed, after which there is also a hit podcast. But today, what is important is he is the author of How to Be Remembered, Michael, welcome. This this book floored me. Um, we've been talking off mic about all the podcasting stuff, but let's get into the literature. Absolutely. That sounds fun. Let's do it. I, I, I want to introduce the book. I want to introduce this just absolute hook of a concept. Tommy Llewellyn's got a problem. He wakes up every 5th of January to a world that's forgotten him. Each year, his life resets. No records, no belongings, no memories. No trace Tommy ever existed. It's a problem Tommy's been enduring ever since he was born and the universe is showing no sign of letting up. That is until Tommy meets Carrie Price and everything changes. The universe is still out to get him, but Tommy's finally got a reason to fight back. This time he's going to be remembered. I love it. It's such a hook. It is such a hook. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and, and the way you put it actually is... It's really succinct that because that is it. It, it. it just boils down to that one point every year where everybody who knows him forgets that he exists. But obviously there's a lot that kind of comes from that in terms of what happens for the year in between. How much effort do you go to to try and kind of build a life uh, for yourself, knowing that that at the end of the year it's going to be wiped? Mm. And I want to I want to start with, and please forgive me for being a little cheeky here, but... Tommy is the definition of forgettable. 
While he has pathos in spades, Tommy almost defies typical character development for a writer. What struck you, or perhaps more appropriately, what made you want to remember Tommy Llewellyn? Oh, that's a really that's a really good question. Uh, look, I, I suppose that the thing about Tommy is that he is a good person, that that he is just a decent human being, and, and I suppose there was there was a lot of potential in the book for um, for it to be quite. Uh, depressing or to actually explore a different angle to it all, which is uh, maybe perhaps more a criminal kind of element, kind of using this, this thing that happens every year um, to his advantage. Um, because I mean, you could commit any kind of crimes on the 4th of January. If you knew that on the 5th of January, everybody would forget you and all evidence of your wrongdoing would be white. But I think the thing that, that interested me more about Tommy would be, if he was just an ordinary person and a, a fundamentally decent human, what would actually drive him? And and I think it actually goes to something that is really um, common to all of us, I think, whether or not we kind of admit it, is, is this desire in some way to be remembered and whether that is kind of through the, the legacy that we leave behind at, at work perhaps or perhaps more likely through your, your family and your friends that you would like to think that after you are gone, people will say something about you that is nice. Um, and, and I wanted to explore how that happened. If, if this was just a normal everyday person to whom this was happening. And that's, that's really the, the kind of idea of the, the book is that, that Tommy doesn't do anything to be kind of targeted for this. That, that he isn't kind of the chosen one or anything like like that there's there's kind of no um there's no kind of uh, villain there's no um kind of Voldemort to his Harry Potter kind of thing there's there, there is just um there is just this pretty ordinary guy a nice guy to whom every year this terrible thing happens and the the idea is that you just explore um, how that would play out and how he goes about trying to achieve what is a fairly base desire, which is to, to leave something behind, mm. something by which we're remembered. I mean, we might be able to argue later about whether a fundamentally decent guy is actually a particularly ordinary thing in the world today. But um, <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> it is really subtle the way you, you establish that he does have this true north but I'm interested in, especially in that really early stage of his life, because this is something that happens from, well, his first birthday, presumably from the moment he's born. But um, from his first birthday, we realise this reset happens. And after the first reset, Tommy finds himself in the dairy. It's a, a foster home peopled by, I guess, the family that are perpetually destined to forget our hero. I confess a great deal of ignorance here, and I'm really curious about whether this was an, you know, a researched, accurate portrayal of the system, or was it kind of stylized for the story? It's stylized for the story, and it was it was quite uh, deliberate in that uh, for, there were two elements to this that I think are probably interesting. And number one is that that um, he had to end up in essentially a, a foster home, a group home, because I, it needed to be in an environment that um, uh, that a child could come and go. 
a child uh, might be there one year, not there the next. Um, and that not necessarily be anything unusual that if suddenly a, a, a boy was there one morning on say the, the 5th of January and nobody remembered that he was there the previous day. And so everyone thinks that he is a stranger, that it is not that uh, unusual for that to to have happened. So uh, kind of for the, the plot to progress in a, to ha- and to have some kind of credibility, I think it was necessary to do that. But what I also wanted to do and deliberately so was steer clear of the kind of the stereotypical portrayal of an orphanage of being this kind of um, miserable place of, of kind of hard labor and, um, and abuse really. And that's where the character of, of Michelle, uh, Miss Michelle, the, who is essentially the director of the, um, of the group home uh, who oversees it, where she is, essentially kind of kindness personified in that she is um, someone who is able to love almost unconditionally, uh, which is why then uh, she kind of accepts Tommy each year coming back into this, into this house. And obviously he's been there the entire time kind of all the way through his childhood, but she only knows him each year essentially as a, as a stranger. And that was done quite deliberately as as well to kind of offset and and to be a bit of a, a counterpoint to the, um, to the misery that would be Tommy's life otherwise, because this, this would be a very grim, a very dark story. If it was, um, poor Tommy Llewellyn, who is forgotten every year on his birthday, living in a, in a place that is full of, of neglect and abuse. Um, it, it would be a, a really difficult story to read, a difficult story to tell. Whereas if it's a, if it's a story about how he kind of gets by in a place that is generally good, then I think it, it, it is probably a little bit of a balance to the circumstances in which kind of uh, Tommy finds himself. You may though have found an audience with the people who are just like reading Dickens and finding it too uplifting. Um, <laughs> well, that's, that was the thing that, that I, I kind of took as the model, this, the, the Dickensian kind of um, orphanage and thought now I've got to, make sure I steer clear of that because that is also something that is a model that is very much um, out of date. And, and I know that, that in, in kind of portraying that the dairy is essentially a pretty happy place. There is obviously some fairly serious, fairly grim kind of things that happen, happen there. And I'm not suggesting at all that everybody that that lives in that kind of environment has a happy um, existence, but at least uh, for Tommy, because of uh, the presence of, of Miss Michelle, um, it is largely a, a reasonably happy place. Yeah. I don't want you to give away the mechanism of Tommy's affliction mm-hmm. yet, yet, maybe mm-hmm. when the mics are off, I'll ask. Um, his condition, though, he calls it the reset. It's certainly unique. And it also has the effect, I guess, of defying a lot of storytelling convention. Can you talk a little bit about that significance of Tommy's condition of the reset and how I guess it allows him to exist outside of traditional narratives that we kind of live our lives by? Yeah, look, I I think the, there is a certain amount of um, needing to, to suspend disbelief for it. And uh, there was something that very um, deliberate that I did in writing this was uh, 
not go to great lengths to explain too much about the mechanism behind it. Um, and I won't kind of give anything, anything away, but the, the focus yeah. of the story is certainly about his relationships and his life and his, um, and the way that he kind of engages with the circumstances rather than the question of kind of why is this happening? How is it happening? How can it be stopped? Because as soon as you do that, I think you transition from uh, essentially a, a story that is about people and about relationships into something that is probably more more akin to a, uh, a sci-fi or a, or a fantasy kind of story, whereas this is meant to be grounded firmly in reality, just with kind of this bizarre mechanism that is happening at the same time. Uh, and so I think if you're able to suspend that uh, disbelief, which I think most, most people are able to do because the rest of the story is kind of um, grounded firmly in reality, it could well be kind of late 80s, early 90s, um, into the early kind of two thousands that is in the, in the, uh, in the dairy that I think most of that is, is reasonably, uh, realistic. And so, yeah, that, that, that mechanism kind of is just happening every year. And Tommy to a degree just has to accept it because it's all that he has known. And so the, the story then focuses on how um, he learns to live with that, how he le- learns to kind of work, uh, work around it. And as you say, kind of live outside the norms of what would be kind of accepted. Were you, were you trying to play, I guess, with the reader's expectations of the hero's journey archetype? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think there are a couple of occasions where I actually um, say outright in the book, that words to the effect of um, if you're expecting this to to kind of just all be kind of neatly resolved um, and the, the the hero kind of quest uh, and the hero to overcome everything, then then this is kind of not the story. Mm. This is not the story that's happening, and that is not Tommy's destiny. Um, and I, I feel like I'm actually quite blunt. In the way, and and I think having the almost an uh, omniscient narrator um, telling the story allows that. Yeah, talk to um, me. Talk r- to me a little bit about that because you do you provide these really interesting moments of let's call it lucid foreshadowing, mm-hmm. and it it has this. I, I I found it has this way of almost dragging the reader out of the immerse immersive narrative, but then we get kind of get shoved back in. And it's even more uncomfortable because you you have upset maybe a convention that we thought we were working towards. Yeah, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. Honestly, in that it, I thought this is uh, it, it needed to be the uh, a, a narrator uh, telling it almost as opposed to Tommy because there is no way what happens early in Tommy's life is so important mm. in terms of what happens at his first birthday and his second birthday and the events around that around that time are so important um, that I needed to tell those parts of the story. Uh, and you couldn't do that if you were telling it in say first person mm. from the perspective of a, of a child. So just by necessity, I needed to, um, to, to do that almost from the, the, the perspective of a, of a narrator who sees all. Mm. Um, and in terms of then the, 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 the foreshadowing, I really just wanted to make sure that, I was almost upsetting expectations mm. in that uh, I was I was warning people that do not expect necessarily a, a, a perfect ending, um, and I, I also knew that 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 
would go against what people were expecting, both from um, uh, from a, a story of this of this nature. But I thought actually that's that's almost a point of difference. But it's a story that I wanted to tell because it, it it is something that is a little bit unusual. It is a little bit different to kind of um, to break that that almost narrative structure only for a moment, mm. only for, for a, a, a couple of lines just to say, hey, don't get too comfortable here um, and don't expect things to go the way you would expect um, because you are following the hero on his quest here because it's not going to necessarily end up like that. And in doing so, hoping to, as you say, draw people through a little bit, um, a little bit further and um, keep them on their toes a little bit and really then when we get to the last, say, third of the book, really um, amp up the tension mm. because you don't know how it's going to end. You don't know if there's going to be a happy ending. You, you already know there's not going to be a perfect ending because mm. I've told you quite early in the book, but you don't know whether it's going to be a happy ending at all because the, those kind of traditional um, points have been upset along the way. And really the only way, well, to Tommy's mind at least, that he can have any sort of, I guess, forward motion is if he can trick the reset. He needs something. He needs to hold on to something. Mm. Light spoilers ahead. Um, some of the light, ways... Light spoilers. Light I like spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> some of the ways that Tommy finds of tricking the reset include through his writing or one particular piece of writing, through planting a garden. I was really curious about these choices, the fact that they're creative, they're generative, and that they tread lightly within the environment. Now, I may be way off base here, but I wondered whether perhaps you were exploring something of the existential value or the existential impact of work in the world. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it is really about, um, I mean, one of the central themes is exploring the impact that we have on people around us and the fact that it is not just through those direct interactions. So between you and me um, having a discussion, um, that, that that is not the only way perhaps that we will have an impact, that it might actually be through the book that I've written, the words that, that have been written, even after I've been forgotten, um, that those those words on that page might live on or um, through uh, just the way that you can make other people feel by the things that you do and that those are elements of a legacy that that you can actually kind of create for yourself. So it was really kind of focusing on those, those elements. And you're, you're right, I think that the idea of kind of planting a, a garden um, or writing something that is is kind of um, creative and has the potential to not just outlast kind of Tommy's reset, which is happening kind of every 12 months, but it, it can outlast anyone. Um, a garden can, um, can kind of just continue on forever. A same with, same with a piece of, a piece of writing. And, and so the key to this in this particular um book and and the way that I think we maintain the, the kind of the credibility and the the logic of the reset is in um, and I don't want to give too much away but it is about in ensuring that there is that distance uh, between Tommy and those things that he has done so that it is not essentially kind of tied to him um, and that is kind of a key a key element of it and and uh, one of the the big challenges that I had and probably the hardest part of this book was ensuring that the, 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 the logic was sound, that there weren't kind of these little um, 
loopholes that that you might be say uh, confronted by a reader at some point going well on page 88 you said this and then on page 148 this happened and the two are inconsistent that that hopefully um uh, and uh, the feedback that i've that i've had and and one of the the um reasons for instance that the uh that the film rights kind of sold so early in the in the piece was that um the, the logic behind it all, having this kind of the big picture, the big hook underneath it all is actually some really quite tight logic um, that, that, that isn't full of loopholes, except for the loopholes that we kind of deliberately plant in there to, um, to allow kind of Tommy to, to have a life. I love that. I love that you've both tried to avoid falling too far into something that might be science fiction and fantasy and also appreciating that some subset of your audience are going to be the sort of Whovians that scream at each other on um, a subreddit at five o'clock in the morning. And all all Whovian fans who scream at each other at five o'clock in the morning, please tweet your complaints to at Final Draft 2 SER. (laughs) (laughs) So much to unpack, so much to unpack. I want to, um, we, we talked a little bit about the hook and in my intro i let's i'm just going to come back up i i included the line and i believe something similar is included on the the back of the book i said when tommy meets carey price though everything changes um and when carey enters tommy's life everything does kind of change it's it's really easy to read hear my intro or read the synopsis and feel like we're we're on a pathway to one of those love conquers all stories. Uh, we've already talked about the ways that you deliber- deliberately subvert that sort of expectation. And I know that's not quite what you had in mind, but I wondered, would you like to talk a little bit about the role of love in the story, the role of love in Tommy's life? Well, I mean, love is the great motivator, I think, for, for Tommy. Um, someone who's kind of been, who's been the beneficiary of, of love in terms of, uh, the love from say Miss Michelle, who is, um, who displays the same kind of love to all, uh, people who come through the, the dairy, all the children that, that end up there. Um, but uh, this is a, obviously a different kind of love with, with Carrie, who is the person that, that, that Tommy kind of falls in love with. And I just think that that is the most cruel thing to happen to someone. And I I certainly shouldn't say it with a smile on my face in that case, Uh, but that, that he would fall in love with someone and who, who probably loves him back at that point uh, in a way, um, but who is destined to forget him shortly. Uh, But Tommy won't forget and that he will actually be forced to continue loving someone who doesn't even know that he exists. And that even if he is able to kind of reestablish a connection with her, if he's able to find her, uh, for instance, and then establish that connection with her again, that that it will just be wiped again. So, really, love plays a major, major role as as the motivation for him uh, to try and find a way uh, around this affliction. Obviously, as we make it pretty clear, there's no kind of thwarting it, mm. but there may be ways to work around it. And, and so, yeah, it it is. Uh, love is a is a central kind of theme to it um the the love from kind of miss michelle to to others um the love that 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 tommy has for carrie and and at different times through the book that the love that kind of carrie has uh, for tommy as well and then 
um, both as kind of the, the motivation for him to try and find a way around it. And then also as the, something that, that provides the potential, uh, for a legacy to be left. Mm. It's really quite, it's quite going it's, too far. Yeah, no. And it's quite wonderful because you do, you, you weave all of those threads, the Miss Michelle, we didn't, we haven't sort of given a nod to Josh here, but I think there is also that sort of that, um, thread of filial love that, uh, yeah. really, really, I mean, perhaps more than Carrie sets Josh yeah. on the journey through his adult life that plays out in the third and then the ending of the book, which is just very, very much chef's kiss. People are going to have to read to get that. I'm not talking about it. No. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. No, yeah, we can't give anything away. But you, you are, you are absolutely right. And I, I completely forgot to mention Josh that that this is um, his other companion. It's his mm. best mate. And again, the same thing that that this is his um, his best mate is potentially his business partner and and someone that that he would quite happily spend every single day with, uh, except for the fact again that every year he that Josh forgets who Tommy is and Tommy doesn't forget who Josh is. So it's that, that kind of the ultimate cruelty again of someone that you love, um, not knowing who you are anymore. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That is actually a, a, a form of love that, um, that kind of perseveres and, and endures. And I think I, I speak to in the book to the enduring power of that kind of love and almost without getting too, kind of into too much of the um is it fate really but the the idea that that some people can just be meant to be friends or meant to be together and that 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 um if the conditions are right for them to come together at one point then chances are they will be drawn together at another point um that that even kind of something as as extreme and complete as the reset kind of sweeping through um may uh won't actually change those um, those kind of the, the, those base emotions and the, the the base elements of that connection between people that would allow them to come back together again. So yeah, you are you're absolutely right. Josh is a is a key character um, in it from about kind of third of the way through, right through to the end. And and I think also what you touched on there is, and at the risk of sounding like a Hoovian screaming into the universe at five a.m. on a Reddit a subreddit you create almost this very kind of cosmic tension between whatever is causing the reset. You know, Tommy Tommy refers to it as the universe, sort of the universe perhaps having something in for him or finding a way. Mm. Um, and maybe some other power, maybe the counterpoint to that, that call it fate, call it, I feel like I'm about to start burst into song here, um, <laughs> That is that is maybe helping certain things come back around. And... Uh, Maybe that's something there. I think that's an open question for for readers to discover, make their own decisions. Yeah, and and look, I think there is actually plenty in here in the book for readers to discuss. Um, and I know it's been kind of um, picked out as a as a as a book club um, pick, basically, mm -hmm. uh, because it does have a lot of those questions uh, in there about kind of the the, the guiding hand of fate, but really about. Um, kind of the, the, the key elements of the, the, the legacy of what we want to be remembered for, um, how we can be remembered and, and really kind of once everything else is stripped away, what really matters in life. And I think there's some kind of 
fairly obvious conclusions that people can kind of draw from there. But um, I just really wanted to kind of explore some of those ideas in this in this book and, and do it in a way that was kind of original mm-hmm. um, as well. And that was probably the the, uh, the biggest challenge to make sure that this was something that was uh, original because the idea of, of kind of memory and all that have been kind of explored so many times. And um, like you even just look at um, films like say 50 first dates or even Groundhog Day then in terms of the, the repetitive nature of these things. And so I kind of think of it as if you take a bit of kind of 50 first dates and you take a bit of Groundhog Day and and maybe kind of Midnight Library as well and, and even kind of the Rosie Project uh, and things and, and you create this kind of concoction and in it or from it <laughs> rises how to be remembered um, and, and they are the kind of ideas that I really wanted to to explore in a book that was a little bit different. And I, I think it's kind of landed roughly in that zone. Look, I think I, it is it is definitely different. I want to talk a little bit about its impact on me in a sec. But first, I, I don't usually go deep on titles, but I was struck <laughs> with how to be remembered as something of a, a counterpoint to, to media saturation and influencer culture. I feel like I read somewhere that um, this book is also, it's a COVID baby, um, when we were all definitely, like, we, we existed for each other on our screens. Were you, mm. were you thinking about the social phenomenon when you crafted Tommy's story? So, so basically, the idea originally came from uh, social media. And so it, it I was thinking about our digital footprint and and the fact that once you have a digital presence, it is basically there forever. Um, Even if you say delete that tweet or if you um, kind of remove the pictures that you posted on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, um, that they are still likely to be there somewhere tucked away, whether it's a screenshot from uh, that someone's kind of taken or uh, within the, the, the kind of, uh, the meta archives somewhere. Uh, and obviously there is the right to be forgotten uh, in parts of Europe. Um, and so I thought there would be clearly, there would be people out there that would just be desperate for their presence online to be forgotten, that they would just love for everything to just be wiped out. And somehow from there, I just went to the opposite of what if somebody just wanted to be remembered and there was something preventing that from happening. Um, and kind of, that was, that was really the idea. So yeah, it did kind of come from, uh, social media in a way. And, and the, the fact that kind of in a, in the digital world, uh, you can't be forgotten even if you want to be. Uh, and yes, you're right. It was, it was essentially a COVID baby. I started writing it just before COVID came along. So January of 2020, um, I was in between jobs at the time and I said, I'll, um, said to my wife that I'll, I'll, are you okay if I take another kind of month or so just to see if I can start writing a book? And I sat down and started writing and I thought, okay, this is actually going, or this is going well, I'll, I'll, I'll see how it goes. Uh, then all of a sudden COVID came along and just all the um, available jobs evaporated, particularly in kind of the, the media space. So I uh, was left with no alternative but to keep going with the book. And at the same time, we started Fear and Greed, the um, the, the podcast uh, production company, uh, alongside that. But, um, but yeah, that's how then it kind of came uh, into being, really, during COVID. But really, from that starting point of thinking about social media, thinking about our digital footprints and going, what if all you wanted was to be remembered? And then the question was, what's preventing that? 
and really the practical elements of how do you how do you actually portray that in a story that has some credibility because it is just such a fantastic kind of idea it's an idea that has um, no basis at all in reality how do I anchor it to reality to make it believable and so that was the challenge I thought that's a ripper of a challenge yeah it is and it's it, that is fa- that is fascinating to think about and I think Often, you know, you don't need to know where a book comes from, but sometimes, just sometimes knowing will cast, I think people will inevitably cast their minds back because January was, January 2020 was a really weird time. That was when we were all still sort of rubbing our eyes from the smoke um, and not yet aware of, you know, the the, the veritable comic anvil of COVID about to be dropped (laughs) on our collective coyote heads. Oh, that is a fantastic way to put it. Thank because you. you're right, we we didn't we didn't quite know there was there was obviously the talk of of something mm. happening in terms of some kind of infection and things, and so I don't think anybody realised at the time of just the magnitude of it. And then when the, then the talk of kind of lockdowns started to uh, to emerge, there was still this disbelief that you could actually do that 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 modern cities and modern countries could actually close their borders and that people could stay home. So yeah, starting that book. Um, in that uh, in that time and then kind of completing it as we went into lockdown and, and as we kind of adjusted to what was then reality, mm-hmm. a lockdown reality. Um, it, I, I, I think the, the benefit to me was that it gave me the time to actually do it justice. Another thing that I don't, often go too much into when um, when I'm doing these chats on final draft is, you know, kind of my personal experience of the reading. Often I want that to just kind of come out in the questions. Hopefully, you know, if a, if a book sort of tickled my brain, I'll, I'll laugh out an interesting question. But whilst I won't speak to every reader's experience, I think the most affecting thing about Tommy's story for me actually came when I was kind of doing that incredible empathy thing that I, I think that the best reading and the best writing provokes. And I was found myself imagining, you know, the possibility of my own reset. What might life be like if I disappeared in my own world? Who would I miss as they stared unknowingly back at me? And it got me wondering, did you, did the writing put you through your own kind of dark journey into meaning? Uh, Yes and no, in that um, uh, I think there's a little bit of every kind of author in the book that they write. Mm. Um, And so uh, there's probably quite a lot of me in this, in this book. And so I probably did think in some detail during the, the writing process about what, um, what was important to me. And so I, it, the more I think about it, the more I realize that, that Tommy's values are probably pretty closely aligned to my own, which, uh, is, is why when you say that he's, is not actually a particularly kind of, um, <laughs> exciting necessarily or engaging kind of person. Oh, that was completely a joke. That was playing on the fact that he keeps getting forgotten. He's, he's incredible. <laughs> I, do you know what, do you know what I, I'm just going to interrupt? Sorry, Michael. I, you know what I love the best is you created such a, an aura of Tommy, but I feel like we really only get a visual sense of Tommy about two thirds of the way into the book. I might not, I might not spoil this because it is fairly pivotal, but I think, you know what I'm talking about where we, we get a sense of Tommy as kind of, he's being kind of hot, like 
um, through this through this passage, and suddenly, like suddenly, he kind of burst into life as, you know, if um, if if not one of the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe's Chris's, at least kind of a young Paul Rudd. <laughs> yes, yes, I think. Um, uh, Someone actually said to me the other day that um, one of the things that they liked so much about the book was that I don't focus too much on um, the way people look in it. That that really there is a lot of uh, focusing more on the emotions and focusing on the on the way people the, the characters make each other feel than than really kind of how they how they look. And and in hindsight, I go, yeah, actually, I didn't really put much focus necessarily on, on the way Tommy looks until that point. Mm. And so, um, it, and I don't think I was necessarily writing it kind of with a, um, with a, a, a film in mind, but I certainly don't, don't think it hurts necessarily that, um, that, uh, he is kind of suddenly emerges at that point that I, I know the point that you're talking about where you think, Hey, this actually, this, this bloke could be played by a movie star, whether it is a um, kind of a, a Tom Holland or a, or a, a young Paul Rudd, that kind of thing. Wait, but, let's yeah, let's avoid the de-aging technology. Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the end, I mean, the, the story is focused on kind of the, the first say 35 years of, of, of life. And so let's just kind of focus on that age range uh, for when we're looking to cast this thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it is an interesting point that the really up until then you, you have a rough idea kind of of how he, of how he looks, but I was never going to spend pages and pages describing his physical appearance because I didn't think it was necessary. Mm. I, I, I just thought you could, you gather an idea, you get the essentials of him. And, and in the end, how he looked wasn't kind of key to it because everyone forgets what he looks like anyway. Mm. Um, and so it kind of really only uh, when that, that point that you are talking about, that's kind of when the physicality of it becomes a lot more important. Mm. Um, and his appearance kind of probably does come into it a little bit more at that point. But up until then, his physical appearance hasn't really been um, so relevant. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a focus. It wasn't really a distraction. It was more the emotional impact of this reset happening every 12 months mm. on this poor kid. Um, and really what he looks like is, is somewhat irrelevant to that. Mm. And it creates, and it, it, it creates, it puts us in an environment and atmosphere of thinking about that core meaning, like thinking about what's, Important, and I'm glad we didn't go too dark on that question. But that was one of the real powers of how to be remembered for me, is that I found, as you said, you you you're playing with the fantastical, so it needs to be very grounded. And for me, I grounded myself by going, "What if this was me?" And you know, yeah. having a few having a few moments of, um, you know, like even even thinking, I to, to my mind, I don't think there are any pets in this. But you know, you're reading in bed. And the cat jumps up and is like standing on your chest, staring at you going, why do you have to have this book in front of you? I'm looking, I'm like, if Tommy had a cat, would his cat remember him? And then just feeling very sad at the idea. Yeah. Um, of course, if you had fish, uh, the cat would, wouldn't care. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good point about the fish. Um, look, I, I think um, you are right. There is uh, The book is designed... Well, not designed. The, the the book will inevitably, I think, uh, connect with something that that is is within all of us in terms of that that 
um, desire to be to be remembered. And I think you probably will put yourself in the character's shoes as you read it and go, what if this was happening uh, to me? And and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those kind of conclusions that you uh, draw are fairly kind of common, that the, the things that matter obviously are the people around you, the, the way you... Um, the way you, the impact that you have, and even the acknowledgement that every single thing you say and do can have an impact on other people around you and that those impacts can last for many, many years, long after you are gone, perhaps as a, as a physical presence in their lives, that the impact that you had on them through words or deeds can outlast, uh, can outlast somebody. But um, I was really cautious about this because I didn't want it to become too depressing Mm. that this, this book had the potential to be very, very grim, Mm. but that is why at its core is still this love story. And it is actually a story of hope. It is a story of um, resilience. It is a, a story designed to kind of show that kind of kindness and, and, and love and, um, goodness that that inherent kind of decency in someone like Tommy, um, can last potentially without giving anything away. I'm joined on Final Draft by Michael Thompson. We're discussing his debut novel. It is called How to Be Remembered. I believe I mentioned at the top that uh, Michael uh, Cohen's uh, podcast production company is a producer and podcaster himself. And Michael, I was wondering if you could help me indulge in that most podcasty of things, the kind of the outtake, you know, sort of sealed section where the spoilers come in. Can I, but basically I'm asking you, can I ask some questions about the book that probably aren't fit for people who haven't read it yet? Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Let's go for so it. if you are um if you are still listening, if you are on the podcast, you are still listening and you have not yet read How to Be Remembered, this is the time you need to tune out. Uh stuff might get spoiled. Okay. The one that you're gonna get you're gonna get asked this a million and one times, and hopefully I'm one of the first, but it, it's not fully revealed in the mm-hmm. book. But did you at least, and you don't have to tell me, but I'm curious, did you work out for yourself something comprehensible? or internally consistent for this whole mechanism of Tommy's resets? Like I said, you don't have to tell me, but does it exist in your mind? Uh, The mechanism does, uh, and because I needed to know how it all worked in order to make sure that it was uh, sound from a logic perspective. So so I did, um, that was really where I put a lot of thought into, was that, um, was just making sure that there weren't, as I said before, those loopholes, mm. um, anything in there. So in order to do so, I needed a fairly kind of complete idea of how it would work. Uh, the, the questions over kind of why he was chosen for it mm. is something that um, if I, if I wanted to, or if I thought it was necessary, I could have, um, explained it potentially, but I don't think it's necessary. And I think in order to do that would cheapen the story a little bit to, to me, the value in this is um, in not giving all the answers Mm. in not kind of giving everything away and then not trying to tie everything. And that is going to annoy some people. Mm. Absolutely. I, I can appreciate that, that, that not kind of necessarily saying this is why Tommy was targeted. This is why every year on the same day he was forgotten that, um, not 
having a reason, like whether it's um, kind of something that his parents did or whether it was because the way the stars were aligned on the the, the night that he was born, anything like that, I feel it, it's just kind of if I was to try and jam that into the book, it, it would feel as though it was just kind of manufactured. Whereas leaving it kind of um, more for something that, that people might like to discuss or better yet, just to go, you know what? This guy was just unlucky. Yep. That this is something that, that kind of swept through every year on the same, at the same time for him and accept it. This is the way it is now enjoy the story. Um, to me, that was preferable yeah, because there's less kind of quibbling than over going, oh, that's not realistic that that would have triggered it. Like, no, of course it's not going to be realistic because it's, it's, um, it is something that is entirely unrealistic uh, in, in the entire premise. But that's why I figure it's a case where less is more in terms of the, uh, the detail trying to, to justify it as a, as a mechanism. Uh, look, I didn't get into this business to break anyone's hearts, Michael, but it is 2023 and the internet exists. People are not going to accept it and they are going to argue. But look, they can right. pick their fandom. Maybe it was a dark wizard. Maybe Tommy was born on a hellmouth. Maybe he fell into the doctor's time stream and is cursed to be thrown back and forth, never remembered. I mean, I, I'm not a nerd. You're a nerd. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, right, look, and that's and that's what I would I would actually like to see that it kind of if people want to argue it and discuss it kind of as to to why it happened then then kind of go for it mm-hmm. but uh, but really the the focus for me was just in making sure that the story um really was enjoyable mm. first of all and the priorities for me was write an entertaining story, write a story that's actually kind of going to keep people turning the page right through to the very end. And if that means that you don't necessarily give every answer to every question, I think enough kind of answers are given um, as to some elements of it that, um, that they will be kind of satisfied. But if they're looking for that, that one answer, then you know what? Mm. It's not, um, it's not there and it is up, up for discussion. Yeah. Um, uh, leaving my nerddom aside, last last question where I'm just going to dive deep on this. Um, mm-hmm. I was really fascinated by sort of the internal consistency that was, was obvious in the architecture of the writing um, and the loopholes that Tommy has to, through trial and error, discover. He accidentally discovers... Um, the loophole of the, the essay and then through the medical ID, things that either are in contact with his body or things that are sort of so far removed from him that they can survive the snap. That's all fine. That's in the book uh, for people to discover. I actually wondered, and I wasn't sure if this was maybe something that you'd kind of sprinkled on the narrative, but not stated, was the first emergence of the loophole perhaps really Tommy's adoptive name of Llewellyn and the way that somehow sticks with him? I just wondered, like, the way it was connected to that early part of the story and that kind of the really interesting, beautiful love story. I, I, I might be way off base here, but it felt it felt like it. Yeah, look, that's it, it is a good kind of... Um, it, it's not necessarily the first loophole. It, it was designed to be one of those things that, that does just stay with him, but uh, through a slightly different different way in that he only gets that name when he is old enough to actually 
kind of remember it and introduce himself mm. as that. Um, and so I had to be kind of uh, fairly careful in the way that I did it. The very first kind of loophole or the very first thing that stays with him kind of through one of those resets is basically his kind of um, his bed, his kind of his cot mm. sheets yeah. and things that are, that are still there. And that was kind of where the, I mean, that's on in the first chapter that that is there. So it, it, it kind of gives that hint right at the very beginning that, Hey, um, and people might kind of be looking at that going, but hang on, he's been, he's been forgotten, but I mean, his sheets are still there. Well, mm. yes, it, that is deliberate. And that is kind of hopefully setting up the, the potential for a, a loophole that, um, that comes a little bit later on. But yeah, the, the idea of the name, I, I really, really loved the idea of the, of, of Llewellyn being his surname and being, um, just that little legacy of the man who took him in on that first night when he was, uh, when he arrived at the, at the dairy and who obviously didn't survive uh, past the end of the, the first year that Tommy was there. And so it, it wasn't designed as a loophole, but it was designed as one of those, as a, as a legacy that sticks with him. That is not necessarily his legacy, but him being the beneficiary of someone else's legacy. And again, someone who is a, uh, again, a fundamentally decent person that he is kind of bestowed with this name. Um, and that is the name that he kind of then carries through the rest of his life. And it is the name of someone who is a very, very good person who was only in his life for say nine or so months. Terrific, a terrific way to wrap it up. Also just terrific to think that we can go back through the book and maybe draw some sort of bell curve where at two standard deviations away from the mean in terms of proximity, we can actually discover all the loopholes. Like it's got to be <laughs> actually touching him or, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, look, it's, I've got a spreadsheet are... to create. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. I love, I really do love a good spreadsheet, especially when it comes to, um, when it comes to this kind of thing. And look, I, I just, I really wanted this to be one of those, those books that, um, the science, I suppose, doesn't get in the way of a good story. So I just needed to make sure that it, it, um, the logic was sound that, um, that the loopholes made sense, mm. that they weren't that there weren't things just planted there. That oh, suddenly it's just emerged that this is possible, and um, that that all of that just kind of happened in the background. And that if you, in the first chapter, can suspend your disbelief mm. and, and just accept that yes, this remarkable thing is happening to this poor boy, that hopefully you'll be able to kind of stick with it and enjoy what is essentially a, hopefully a pretty good story about about love and about relationships and about kindness and legacy and what it does mean to be remembered. It is, it is a gorgeous story. It has enough to uplift you whilst also just kind of tugging at your heel, keeping you grounded. It is how to be remembered. I am speaking with Michael Thompson. I've already outroed us once, but I'm going to outro us one more time. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, thank you so much for sharing how to be remembered with the world. Andrew, thank you for your time. It has been a lot of fun. That is it. What an incredible conversation there. Thank you so much to Michael Thompson. Michael joined us with his debut novel. It is called How to Be Remembered. It is out now from Alan and Unwin. Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you are loving Australian writing, if you are enjoying the show, give us a rating, give us a review, or just reach out. 
get in touch on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. If you subscribe, it means a new episode will drop for you every week. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from incredible authors here on Final Draft. So till then, happy reading. Bye now.